Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Look, it all starts to fall apart if your message isn't resonating. We weren't asking the first order questions about strategy. We weren't then enlisting our research efforts around it. And we didn't see the big shift in the strategic sort of framework that occurred with Morrison shrinking the battlefield to just being this fight between Bill and him. Well, hello, good people of pods, and welcome to the show. It's Catherine Murphy, and with me this week is Jay Weatherall. Hello. (laughs) In the studio. Jay, in case you've not been following the news this week, has done with his colleague, erstwhile federal colleague, Craig Emerson, uh, done a review of the, well, I'll just say, I've already said it, so I can't offend Jay by saying in front of him, the Hindenburg, um, (laughs) that was Labor's election campaign in Mm. May and, you know, down to the fine print. So we're going to talk about that in this conversation for the next little bit and try and get behind some of the very interesting ideas that have been floated in the review. Mm. So welcome, Jay. Thank Thank you you. for making the time. Pleasure. Now, I'm just going to start with the easiest question of all. Um, Why did voters not trust Bill Shorten? Well, we say that the the effect of the electoral result was really a combination of factors. I don't think you can separate out one factor. We say that Bill's popularity or lack of it was uh, a contributing factor to the loss, but it really needs to be understood in the context of a lack of uh, a coherent strategy, which really framed up the the contest in an appropriate way. I mean, at at a fundamental level, it was odd for the party to really invite an evaluation almost entirely of itself without there being really a a clear evaluation of uh, the government. I mean, that's typically how how election campaigns are run. The opposition runs an evaluation of the government. So at that fundamental strategic level, there was an issue there. And then there was, and sitting underneath that, there was not really a persuasive narrative, but rather a shopping list of policies. Yeah. And you, you, if you, it's then when you ha- understand the, the relationship with the leader, because the, because all those things expose the leader yep. who's sitting in front of 250 costed policies with this really sort of an incredibly high trust Agenda, but with a with a, a leader around whom there are some doubts, you see how those two things come together. Well, a different campaign could have 
could have protected a leader where where there were some vulnerabilities. Sure, and I promise you, we're not going to spend the next twenty minutes talking about mm. personality intrigues mm. or invite the hundred the next hundred year war within the Federal mm. Labor Party. But this is a basic question. Mm. The review says of Shorten, obviously, that he is one factor in in yeah. Labor's election loss. We will get to the other factors, I promise mm. you. But the qu- the question I've got is very sincere. Uh, there was there was data over a long period of time, mm. public data over yeah. a long period of time that indicated that for whatever reason, yes. fairly or unfairly, yes. voters did not trust Bill Shorten. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about being no. popular because that doesn't matter. It's it's whether or not someone a leader is trusted yeah. is actually the metric. Well, so we, we we looked at I suppose we looked at. Uh, a series of things. There was the the context of Labor's history, so the the Rudd Gillard Rudd issues, and there and and Bill Shorten did have a role there, and and that no doubt is part of the evaluation of him. The, the other public thing, evaluation, the public you mean. evaluation yeah, yeah. of him, and then of course there's the six years of being leader of the opposition. I mean, inevitably you're at the pointy end of uh, the attack on the government, and and they focused all of their energies and attacks on him. I think really powerfully in the election campaign itself. I mean, one of the things that I think probably changed for me in the course of the review was my evaluation of the the impact of the social media campaign, in particular the one funded by Clive Palmer. There was $60 million tipped in in the last two weeks and uh, it was all directed at, at Shorten, at Shorten mm. and uh, damaging his standing. That's all true, but you can't. I don't think in advertising you can't you can't make fetch happen. Mm. You can't create something completely out of the blue. Mm. You advertising works when it plays to a predisposition in mm. on the part of the consumer or the buyer or whomever. Sure. Right? Well, we we so, all have our strengths and weaknesses, and you know, if enough time and effort is is focused on any one of us, I'm sure you know we could create doubts. I think it's the interaction between those things and the, you know, the, you can't underestimate that the power of the expansive policy agenda. I mean, you look at 2016, Bill and much of the view about him probably had been established by 2016. A different campaign constructed in a different way, which didn't have Bill in the breeze. Mm. I mean, there was no barrier to 14 extra seats coming over the line in our favour. So you can... So that, you know, I just don't think it's uh, I don't it's difficult to to, to compartmentalise the consideration of the leadership, and in a way which I think gets you to the proper analysis. Yeah, I, I accept that. I think it is multifactorial, but still there must have been, and there were times I know because obviously I talk to these people all the time. There were there were times where. Labor people ask themselves whether or not pre pre election whether or not Shorten was about was a sub, too substantial a barrier to entry for them. Yeah, but we we chose, you know, we we chose, and there was, you know, I don't I think the unity around his leadership was was not um, was not fake. I think mm. it was real, mm. and well, you know, while there was talk of you know, leadership tensions, they weren't. They weren't substantial. I mean, I'm sure it occurred to people and there were random conversations from time to time, but there was no serious discussion of changing the leadership. But, but what you... I think there was was, and probably this was a hangover of this old trauma of the Rudd-Gillard-Rudd era. Yeah, that's was what the, I was going to ask you, actually. Yeah, was the was perhaps a, a lack of a critical evaluation of the leadership, mm. which was a different question. That's not with a means to changing, with a view to changing it, but rather what can we do to address some of the issues? And one of the things we did find is that there were a few sort of pretty desultory attempts to lift Bill's standing, but they 
What were those? Um, just small media campaigns that ran for a short period of time that sought to to raise his positive standing and place him in a, a sort of more positive context. But one of the things that kept happening is that there kept being these miscellaneous catastrophes for the oppos- for the government. Mm. Mm. So there'd be you know the section forty four issues, the by elections, the you know the leadership changes. Every time when Labor started to think about trying to lift Bill Shorten's standing, there'd be some fresh catastrophe for the government, which meant that it seemed like less of a priority mm. and less of a concern. Yeah. Because it seemed that because the built-in assumption is that we're, we're going to win anyway. We're going to win anyway, so yeah. it doesn't matter. Okay, well then let's, as I've promised you, not dwell on personalities for the entire uh, thing. Why was the campaign so out of control? Um, this is a question that um, I think is also can be sheeted back to the expectations, um, and and partly probably a misreading of the two thousand and sixteen election result. So two thousand and sixteen gave us some false confidence. I think about a range of things about our leader, about our policies, yeah. and and about our campaign organisation. All of which looked pretty good, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so there was no there was no real impetus to review. I mean, if you're winning, why change a winning game? And then the news polls, but you did, but you didn't win. Well, true, and that that that's the first mistake. I mean, you know, a loss is a loss, mm. and yet it was it was acted upon as though it was a victory. Yeah, it was. But then pretty quickly after that, though, news poll had us had catapulted us into a winning position mm. and kept us there. No, 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 no. And so Absolutely. there was so much. <laughs> You know, so once again, why would you, you know, your structures and your strategy to the extent that it existed, you might not know what you're doing, but whatever it is, where it seems to be working but, type but, of thing. But it's but it's weird to me, Jay, because obviously yeah. we all, after 2016, when uh, when the Labor campaign picked up, how many seats it was? 14. I've forgotten, 14 seats, right. We all, me included, delved right into Labor's ground game, yeah. digital strategy, like Which I, was superior, I exactly. think. Exactly. And I, I made a point journalistically of studying it. And yes. I tell you what, the, so did the Liberal Party. Yes. Right? So uh, it, I can't reconcile, unless I was being fed total bullshit, to be frank, after the, the 2013 uh, election about, I mean, no one was saying we're masters of the universe, but there was a pretty comprehensive no, picture painted of a, of a very effective I ground think, operation. I don't think well, ground operation worked well yes, and, and yeah, continue to work yes. well on this campaign. In but, fact, we we enhanced it. It actually, it, it's it's definitional issue. But we're, I'm separating out the social media thing from the ground game. The ground game, you know, direct voter contact, yeah, all of that sort of thing was even bigger and bigger. better this time. Yeah, yeah, just that you've got the wrong message. Of course, it doesn't work. But yeah. the but the social media thing, there is no doubt we went backwards. Mm. Now, having said that, we spent more. But that there were material parts of the social media campaign that were inferior to even two sixteen, which is troubling. But certainly, so not only did we go backwards compared with two sixteen, the libs went forward yes. and actually catapulted into a new, whole new world. And we, and so the gap was substantial. But you know, having said that, they. We gave them the material to work with in much the same way as the, the Liberals created the circumstances for Medischare. Yeah. We created the circumstances yeah. for, the uh, for the death tax. For the death tax, yeah. even though, you know, it's 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 obviously 
It's complete bullshit. It is complete bullshit, but there was this grain of of truth to it that, um, and, you know, we didn't have an effective way of responding to it. No, well, that's, yeah, and again, some of my reporting, I've gone into that quite substantially Mm. in terms of, you know, despite best efforts trying to escalate Mm. concerns within Facebook, that didn't happen. And that's a whole other issue for democracy that we've all got to Mm. come to terms with, like, well, we do make recommendations around that, around Palmer's money and about lies. We we talk about um, spending caps and truth and advertising legislation. Yeah. They're the only two respects where we suggest policy changes mm. and I think they're important. But, but again, it's sort of like I am struggling to reconcile a mm. machine which is firing across the board in the yeah. previous campaign versus the, the, the campaign that you describe in this mm. review, which is... Well, extraordinary. No, no campaign committee. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, <laughs> things being cooked up. You know, in the in the last couple of weeks of the yeah. the election campaign, like Keystone Cops. It's sort of. A, I, I can tell you. Can I share with you my experience? Mm. Obviously, because I interacted with the leaders' yeah. party on the road. Right. I yeah. went up and did a substantial interview with Bill Shorten. Probably two and a half weeks in. Mm. And it felt at the time, I'm not saying that it felt out of control, it didn't, but it felt materially different in terms of the disposition and attitude and everything else. Mm. I couldn't put my finger on it at the time. Well, things were going pretty bad by well, then. That's the thing. Well, but right? see, so, when you don't but, have a message, I mean, look, it all starts to fall apart if your message isn't resonating. I mean, you know, if you're out there with a plan, I mean, the idea of having to reconstruct your central message halfway through an election campaign is catastrophic. So it's going to, everyone's going to feel a bit all at sea. Yeah. Um, so if you don't, I mean, we, we didn't, we, we weren't asking the first order questions about strategy. We weren't then enlisting our research efforts around it. And we didn't see the big shift in the strategic sort of framework that occurred with Morrison shrinking the battlefield to just mm-hmm. being this fight between him Bill and him. And him. Yeah, but now, that it, was a that was a profound change in the strategic environment that we didn't clock, we didn't yeah. understand. And and I don't want to convey in this conversation. I want to be self aware in this conversation. Mm. It's not like you know we brilliant with the wisdom wisdom of hindsight folks mm. out here in journalism mm. land. You know saw this. No, I was the same. I, mean, I, I thought it was all going swimmingly. I didn't, it all looked to, to be going, um, I believe, the news polls. Mm. Yeah, mm. but this is, uh, I, I still can't, is, is the answer, like, is, the, is the straight answer to the question, what's the difference between the machine in the two campaigns, complacency? Is that, is that the answer? Uh, well, complacency, but look, I think capability as well. I mean, there, there, there is no doubt that we, we didn't have the structures or the capability, and we didn't marshal the resources necessary to construct the appropriate strategy. So, and who 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 bears responsibility? The for whole that? everyone that the whole you know the national executive, the you know the leadership group, the leader, the party secretariat. I mean, everyone plays a role in that. I mean, it's not you know there was a lot of self sent. There were people raising some alarm bells, but. There, yeah, there, was a lot of self, there was a yeah. lot of self-censorship. Yeah. Well, why did people do that? Self-censor? Yeah. Because they, you know, a lot of journalists did as well. They said, this doesn't feel right. Mm. We think this is sort of not, you know, really heading the right direction. But um, what do I know? You know, mm. there's news poll and, you know, everyone else is, the whole world is conducting themselves as though Labor's going to win. Perhaps I'm wrong. And I think there was a, so people would raise things, but when they were being, when they were rebutted, because, you know, the, 
you know, the people that were had set the direction were obviously defensive of the direction. They were told, you know, don't panic. We're, I mean, one of the this is one of the dilemmas of, of strategy. I mean, one of the things you're taught is that, you know, you've got to hold the line. You can't shift the position mm. because starting and shifting and changing yeah, is, is, de- is, is death is of death. some description. And so, yeah. you, and so that's okay, I suppose, if you've – because, look, this is not – this is an art. It's There's no one scientific answer. I mean, you know, there's probably more than one pathway to victory. The critical thing is choosing one yeah. and sticking with it. And yeah. so this is the – this is the received wisdom, if you like, of political strategists. You actually have to stick to your position. Now, that's fine if the position has been formulated through a proper process and has been informed by research. What we now know is that we're really working off old old sort of thinking, which essentially thinking that was better suited to the Turnbull government and not the repositioned Morrison government. Yeah, but in terms of culture, right, like go, going back to that visit I made to the campaign about two and a half weeks in mm. with, with Shorten, it, it felt a bit off. I did say to him at the time, mm. I don't think you've got this, mm. right? I said to him, uh, <laughs> it has struck me over a long period of time with this generation of the Labor Party mm. in Canberra, both through the Rudd-Gillard period mm. and through the Shorten period, mm. that people lack the confidence to be frank with one another. Well, um, yeah, partly. Um, I mean, they'll kill each other in broad daylight, but they won't actually say, "Listen, mate, I think that's a crock." Or, well, I think there was we're seeing a bit of the blowback of the, you know, as we say, the Rudd Gillard Rudd era, where, where there was such a traumatic experience where disunity was. It was sort of seen as the as the cause of the catastrophic loss in in two thousand and thirteen, and so. Anything that looked like disunity, so even even a critical anything critical of the the direction the leadership had chosen, was put into that same category of disunity, and you couldn't do that anymore. Mm. So yeah, that's pretty unhealthy, and we do talk about that that culture yeah. in the report, and we say that there should be yeah, every piece of information is a data point that's worthy of examination. You know every federal MP, every one of your MPs in your caucus is a living, walking, talking focus group. They're seeing people every day and they've got to be respected. And, you know, that. whereas what we were doing, we were dismissing things. That was noise because it wasn't fitting in with our mindset because we're going to win. And the polling was right, right? Basic, well, it wasn't far wrong. I mean, our internal yeah, polling inter- was much the, closer. The so about half of I'm the 36 about. weeks uh, that the, the track ran, you can see we weren't going to win. And what was the focus group stuff? Oh, the focus groups were even more alarming. And w- like what? Oh, that, that basically our messages, first our message wasn't cutting through, so this idea of cuts just wasn't resonating because the, the government had effectively inoculated that with their budget. And and really, the, the cuts message started to lose its potency once the, the government had, had dropped its corporate tax cut as well. Yeah. And so, because whatever concern there were about cuts was even more egregious in the context of you throwing money at, to coin a phrase, the big end of town. Mm. And mm. so the so once that was dropped, um, that the cuts message seemed to fade, uh, especially when when the budget came down and it, and not only did it reverse a number of cuts but seemed to actually even have some new spending. So it seemed that the era of cutting was over. And I think also critically important is that the cuts hung very deeply 
on someone like Malcolm Turnbull, Mr. Harbour for Slight Mansion, yeah, yeah, he was and a, less yeah. so on somebody on like Mr. Scott, Everyman. Mr. Everyman. Mm. So the, so that that just so so we'd set the campaign up as being you know that was one of our frames. We, we had our big sort of spending promises, and they had their cuts. So that was. That disappeared. And then there were doubts. And then, of course, what was coming through were real doubts about our tax agenda and the, and the fear that that was creating. So this was the worrying information that was coming through the focus groups. Yeah, but obviously you had the false positives of by-elections and other things to override it. Again, like I don't want us to sound in this conversation, well, particularly me in yeah. this conversation, to hold myself up as some, you know, sage who who saw this all along. I mean, no, that's just... well, we, you know, I was, we were all on the same boat in, well, certainly inside the Labor Party. And you've got to also remember there was you know, all these captains of industry sort of beating a path to the door of all these shadow ministers mm. and saying, oh, you know, in a couple of weeks' time we'll have you over you know, to our office and show you around and mm. we'll talk about... Oh, and well, everyone thought, every, every, everyone really thought, I think, I mean, apart from Scott Morrison. <laughs> yeah, well, and he's the one guy that where it counted. <laughs> and possibly Andrew Hurst, I don't know, but, uh, but certainly Scott Morrison, yeah, thought he would win, but... Um, well, no these leaders, they, I can tell you uh, that they do have an irrational self-belief <laughs> and it is, it, it's quite useful that they do. Oh, I was going to say, yes, are you, are you going to declare your interest? But you just did. Anyway, that's fine. Um, let's, get, let's get into to the broader territory that you pitched yep. in the review, which I'm quite interested in. I wrote a piece about it after mm. the review was published, like the central challenge of the term, which yeah. is you see, it's a funny old thing because you sort of at one at one way at one level you're saying Labor's got to learn to walk all sides of the street, got mm. to be able to communicate with everybody, but you've got to bring it together in a way that brings the country together. And yeah. and by that you mean fuse a progressive constituency and a blue collar yeah. one. So I mean these things aren't binary. No, but, they're not. But, they could be. So people could be in in both, in both camps. camps. Um, yeah. But you know it. it we know this is simplifying things to be able to talk about. Of course, them. yeah. I mean, but, you know, you can look at things like this, the same-sex marriage debate though, where, you know, a substantial coalition was formed around that. There must have been many people of faith that voted for same-sex marriage reform. Yeah, otherwise it wouldn't have happened. Wouldn't have happened. Mm. And so, and I think that the leaders in that debate, Penny, Mung, Penny Wong amongst them, were very respectful of um, the sensibilities, you know, cultural sensibilities and sensibilities around religious beliefs uh, in the way in which they conducted that debate. They talked about love. They didn't. They they shifted the debate into a different place mm. while respecting, you know, religious beliefs. So, and other cultural beliefs. So, yeah, I think it's achievable. You know, I think you only need to look at. Daniel Andrews to, to see just a few short months before the federal election, he managed to keep much of his working class base and 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 add to it um, and uh, in an urban constituency that swung strongly to Labor. Um, yeah, I agree. It's being done better in in the regions, but yeah. uh, but perhaps for Andrews, an example you've raised, right? Is it easier for him? Do you think because he hasn't got the coal problem? Which is really the the coal climate debate. Which well, is, he's got coal, and you well, know, um, but um, and you know, it is true to say that there were there were elements even within the Victoria that swung against Labor, even at the state election yeah. in some of those uh, electorates. But it's the way he chose to talk about climate change. Mm-hmm. For instance, he never used the word climate change. He often talked about renewable energy mm-hmm. uh, and uh, those projects. He also, um, and you know, had substantial schemes about promoting renewable energy, rooftop solar, and the like. And you know, he 
he was able to also show uh, people that, you know, working people that were looking for, for jobs with his um, the level crossing program and his sort of ambitious infrastructure program that he was going to keep them in work. And I, I've spoken to a number of my colleagues about this and I've always sort of thought of this issue. You know, come I'm coming from South Australia where we had Don Dunstan who was the pioneer of, you know, extraordinary social reform, first to decriminalise homosexuality in, in the country back in the 60s, you know. And, you know, once if you get the bread and butter like, if you, get, if you, if you ensure that people have good jobs and can see a future for themselves and their families, then... I think people will be – there's a generosity of spirit where they might have their doubts about some of these other social justice issues. They might not immediately speak to their lives, but they're prepared to accept the reforms in those areas. Whereas if if it looks like they're, they're your principal concern, they're the dominant concern mm. and you're ignoring the big questions like what's happening to – Will I have a job next week? Exactly. I mean, mm. if the Labor Party can't address those central questions – which go to the political economy and about how how resources fairly shared, where there's massive inequality and jobs are disappearing underneath people. How can we, you know, we're asking people to to have that level of uncertainty about their lives, but then express this generosity of spirit to something they don't understand and is completely foreign to their lives, and they think that we have, they could be they could be forgiven for thinking we have the wrong priorities. Mm, mm. But uh, so. Talk about jobs first, have a social agenda second, or is that too simplistic? Well, I think you can do – you can't do one without the other. Yeah, You've got to um, – Well, this is the interesting thing, see, about your review because in the various, you know, sort of um, speeches mm. front benches have made over the last couple of weeks anticipating the official history, mm. <laughs> there's a spectrum of views about yes. the, this dual constituency issue, yeah. right? There is a, there's a feeling around some quarters of the right that, yeah. oh, well, you, you can mute the progressive stuff. We've just got yes. to go full-throated blue collar, right? Yes. You say very clearly in the review you can't do that. No, you can't choose. You've got to do both and we've got to find a way of knitting those constituencies together. And, you know, the that is a tough conversation and requires some careful analysis and thinking, including drawing on some international experience, because this is not a challenge which is unique to progressive parties in this country. It's one being faced all around the world. Look at look at the US. I mean, mm. we had Obama really having a speech about this very uh, issue about how we well, conduct can- ourselves. Well, cancellation culture. Like, yeah. 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 Yes. Talking so- about talk- how we, the language we use and the way in which we exclude people, you know, the, the Labor Party has to I mean, what's the role of a leader in a democracy? It's to try and talk together a public that can come together and act in its interests. So you've got to you've got to draw people together, language of inclusion rather than language of exclusion. Yeah, well, uh, but is it more difficult for progressive parties because is the cancellation culture or you know the sort of excess of wokeness, for mm. want of a better term, right? Mm. That's more dominant on mm. on the progressive or left side yeah. of politics than it is on the right, where, you know, one must be able to, you know, utter one's darkest thoughts in in freedom. Right is the sort of prevailing culture on the on the right. I'm talking yeah. about the engaged ideological right as mm. opposed to just mm. someone who doesn't care. Right. Yeah. So. So how does I mean Anthony Albanese's done two two podcast episodes with me in which mm. we've touched on this yeah. this problem of yeah. progressive people are shutting down people who disagree with them yeah. and his concerns about that i.e. progress doesn't happen if you don't change minds exactly but how do you do it well I mean I think you've got to 
I mean, I think you've got to learn to love your constituency, you know. I mean, I think you've got to... You've got to understand the needs and concerns of working people. That's, you know, by immersing yourself in, in their concerns and their and their culture. And, um, you know, that should be easy for for us. I mean, they still, while while some of those constituencies swung against us, by and large, they still voted for us. Mm. I mean, I want to get this impression here that every working person in this country no, voted somehow voted Labor. Liberal. No, I mean, no, they, right. that, it was the yeah. swing that that, that, uh, that that killed us. I mean, we still have the overwhelming majority of uh, working people, low-income people, uh, put their faith in the Labor Party. So, you know, we have a, there is a natural sense in which we can connect with them and and we should because we generally speaking they're in our electorates they're members of unions that are affiliated to our party so you know we have we should have the rails run in in understanding their needs and concern i think the my concern is that these powerful forces that that exist which are shaping you know the world and globalization the trade agenda they they really reduce the scope for of um, autonomy for governments mm. you know national and subnational governments. This is very – and so instead of us making excuses for that, I mean, we, we could run out, if you like, on a conservative left agenda and say let's have tariffs and, you know, retreat to yeah, a 1950s sort of – Go full protectionist. Go full mm. protection and just fortress Australia. But we, we sort of know that that will damage the interests of working people. But I think we've got to be honest – I think we've got to be honest with working people about what the – limits of the scope of our autonomy are, mm. um, explore though the, the boundaries of the scope of that activity and invite them in rather than make apologies for the global system. So look, globalisation's great, trade's great, you know, in aggregate you're all better off, what mm. are you complaining about? Mm. I think we've got to be much more deeply connected to protecting the interests of working people and, and you know, this is hard public policy work, I don't pretend to have the answer but... I suppose what we're trying to do is at least shape the question mm. for the party and and ask it to devote the resources and consider, frankly, whether it has the structures which are capable of actually assisting us to to, to, to come yeah. to the, the answer to those exactly, questions. Exactly, which is a really interesting point in the review. I'd encourage people listening to actually just go find the review online and read it because it's, it's very accessible. It's presented very accessibly and it's very interesting, I think. And anyone listening to this show will find it interesting. And it's, it's I find it difficult to talk about because you don't do justice 28,000 words but within a sort of, I mean, this is the longest chat I've had about it. It's much harder to do in yeah, in an know, eight minute in an eight minute segment or because mm. people just want to focus on bits of it. But you really need to. Uh, it's helpful to look at the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I agree. It's an organism, the campaign yeah. review, and you need to look at the whole thing. So go and find it online. It's not hard to find. Anyone who follows me on Twitter, there's a link in my timeline to go and find it if you're having trouble finding it online. Now, you and I could talk for about three weeks, which is our form, but uh, we need to wrap up. So I'll just ask one question. You you obviously ended your career in, in state politics. Mm. It seemed to me you were having quite a nice, quiet Life, pleasant yes. life, you know, for a period of time, but obviously until this came well, along, <laughs> I was going to say, drag back into the fray for this uh, delicate balancing exercise. Has it sort of whetted your at- appetite? Is there any universe in which we see Jay Weatherall return to the political fray? Not in a million years, but um, it, look, it did whet my appetite for 
pol, you know, politics, and it's got me some more interested in getting involved in trying to help answer some of these questions, but not as a elected representative. Right, right. I'm afraid. So we, we won't see you turn up in the Senate or oh God, no. Or no anything like that. No. When you say you want to get more involved in formulating the answers to the questions, what are you thinking in terms of how how will you become more involved? Oh, look, just to help anybody that wants me to you know help them have this discussion. I mean, there's got lots of dialogue about. You know, I've come up with all these, you know, really clever questions and maybe I should also <laughs> roll my sleeves up and help answer them as <laughs> oh well. Oh, my God, how, how old-fashioned to be <laughs> having responsibility for the answers. Jay, thank you very much for your time and thank you all for listening. We really do appreciate it. Thank you, as always, to Miles Martignoni, who is the executive producer of this show, and to Hannah Izzard, who will have assisted on production this week. I'm just reminding you guys again, there is a new Guardian podcast. It's called Full Story. It is very much worth your time. Uh, basically, we have a conversation. Uh, the Guardian reporters have a conversation about a major issue in the news. We try and deconstruct it, get behind it, tell you where the story started, tell you why it's sort of metastasized in the way that it has, and try and get some conclusions. It is very much worth your time. Seek it out on your favourite podcast app. Uh, we've got a Senate sitting week next week in Canberra. I will be back doing something, talking to someone then. Until then, take care. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.